Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me once again from this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Cliff Murphy. Cliff, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. Uh, How about you? I'm good, thanks. I recently completed my first order from a website called AmiAmi. They are uh, a service, basically, that lets you import Japanese figures and games and stuff. Oh, okay. Neat. What'd you get? I I got a couple different things. Uh, From the game Persona 5, I really liked the one persona that the character Makoto had. Its name is Johanna, and it's a motorcycle that transforms into like a demonic-looking robot. I was like, (laughs) that looks cool. Okay, very cool. So with this site, though, they will buy used figures and stuff from people, presumably in Japan, and then they will sell them internationally. And they have this whole like uh, grading chart, and the uh, the grade on the figure in the box were a B. And I was like, oh, okay, well that's not great. I mean, I would like a you know something in mint condition. And I looked it up, and there was like there is somewhere on this figure. There, there could be some pieces missing or the box could be damaged. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe I should read some more on this on the internet. And then I went to a like a Western you know, Reddit post and it's like, yeah, they are hyper meticulous about the condition <laughs> on everything. Okay. And sure enough, this figure, like, you could not, if you offer me $1,000, I could not figure out like what the issue was with the condition of this figure. <laughs> Okay, so B in their terms is like A plus in other people's terms. Yes, okay. yes, they they may be somewhat more uh, fastidious in how they observe condition than my uh, yokel eyes are able to uh, observe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, hey, uh, that's awesome. And if it, you know what, if it's if it's good enough for you, then that's perfect. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I got that, and then uh, the one other figure I'll mention is I got this uh, figure called Donburo, which is this uh, it, it's this little robot guy, but it, he's made out of like cardboard boxes. And I thought, you know, based on the price, it was like six hundred yen, which is about six bucks. And it, it mentions that it was like from a crane game, so I was like, oh, okay, so it's just gonna be like some little doodad. That's perfect. I just want a little doodad. I put it on my desk. It'll sit there. No, it is like a foot-tall figure. <laughs> okay, so uh, pound for pound, that's probably your best your best deal there. In terms of figure to price, uh, the the uh, efficiency of the Danborough figure is significantly higher than the efficiency on the uh, Johanna uh, Persona figure. We'll say that. Glad you got good value for that one, right? <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, we just need the right metrics to... Uh, uh, best find the figures with the most mass to them compared to their pricing. And, and then we, we'll be able to monetize that somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Reminds me years and years and years ago, uh, uh, I was with my dad in a, uh, I guess, uh, you know, a big warehouse book 
store or something like that and uh he found a copy of like leonard malton's i think it must have been at the time like 2005 video guide and it's this big thick like thousand page book and it was on sale for a dollar <laughs> so he found it and he said pound for pound this is the best deal in here <laughs> hey your, your dad's got an eye for efficiency i appreciate that Later on in this episode, I'll be talking with some of the people working on the game Victory Heat Rally. I've got Rob KTA, Colonel, Ian, and Aiden from Team VHR. Their game is currently going through a Kickstarter campaign. We're going to talk a little bit about their progress so far. But first, you and I have to do some screen watching. We sure do. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? And Cliff, for this... uh... We're delving into an unusual area for this podcast, which is broadcast network sitcoms from the past decade. (laughs) Isn't that, outside of The Simpsons, isn't that largely everything that we watch? I feel like we watch a lot of, like, children's cartoons, or I like children's cartoons and stuff. Yeah, that is true. You're right. If I had to classify it, I would say it's children's cartoons. (laughs) That's what we're watching. (laughs) You know, if you would like to dress that up a little bit and say, like, you know, you're observing media trends, I I won't hold that against you. But, I mean, when I think of it, I'm like, yeah, we're watching children's cartoons. I really like to think that we're uh, we're appreciating the finer points of uh, animation, which is uh, such a broad field. Uh, We can Mm. appreciate art that's being created uh, Mm. for all sorts of different audiences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, uh, this week, uh, we watched The Goldberg. And uh, up until you said, hey, let's watch an episode of the Goldbergs, I had not heard of the Goldbergs, despite the fact that it's been around for like seven or eight seasons. Like it's been around for quite some time and I had no idea it existed. The only way I knew it existed is in two forms. As a billboard, I would see occasionally around Chicago and a friend of mine got yelled at on Twitter by one of the people who works on the Goldbergs. Oh, yeah? Well, you know what they say. There's no such thing as bad press, right? Uh, (laughs) Oh. God, that's funny. Someone yelling at your friend. (laughs) That's great promo for the show because then you learned about the show from that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, this person who's involved with the show really cares deeply about their project. I'm interested in it. Just this week in video game news, there was a guy who works with uh, Google Stadia, who posted a tweet that in and of itself, I would say it wasn't like, it wasn't like he should be canceled, but it was like not the greatest idea. He's like, gamers should pay the game makers to stream games. And then like, everyone's like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, that was pretty much everyone's thought too. They're like, you're dumb. This was a dumb idea. Google literally pays streamers to stream Google Stadia stuff. He waded into the replies and things did not get better from there. But then later on, Google tried to kind of get the Stadia trending off the back of all this negative press. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you're talking about it. I'm talking about it. We should all check out this Stadia. Gosh, Uh, that's crazy. God, paying 
video game companies to stream their games. Isn't the act of streaming a game in and of itself beneficial to uh, the game producers? Like, if you make a game and people like it enough that they're playing it and streaming it, isn't that, like, incredibly valuable in and of itself? I would generally agree. I, I think that the there's a kind of a delicate balance right now where everyone has decided this is a good thing mm-hmm. and no one really wants to, like, commit and, like, codify it or like take it through like the the legal channels because they're just like we're we're this works everything is balanced right now and we could mess it up if we try and like push too hard one way or another interesting interesting i wonder if one day there'll just be like a snap all of a sudden and then it's like before we even realize it oh yeah of course streamers have to pay to stream the games of course what else would they do like i hope that doesn't happen me too me too. So someday a company like, you know, a big enough company like Apple or, I mean, Amazon is owned, owns Twitch. So they could just be like, yeah, you have to pay a license. You have to, uh, you know, pay a license to these companies to stream these games. These other games, you can't stream them. Uh, if we find that you do, you will be banned from the service. So hopefully we don't get to that point. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed. God. <laughs> Uh, okay, so in the meantime, uh, we watched yeah. an episode of the Goldbergs, a show that neither one of us had any real familiarity with. So I guess, now this is from kind of me watching the episode and then looking up a bunch of information like IMDb, Wikipedia, and stuff afterwards. I guess uh, this show, The Goldbergs, created by a fella named Adam Goldberg, uh, is supposed to be like a retrospective of his life uh, growing up in the 80s. And... It's set in, what is it, Pennsylvania? Yeah, Pennsylvania. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so apparently, a lot of the stuff is supposed to be like real, very specific to his uh, childhood growing up in uh, Pennsylvania in the 1980s, which, sure, like that seems cool. You know, I can speak from experience when I see things that I'm really familiar with, uh, like from the, you know, from the Toronto southern ontario region see things referenced in movies or tv i get really uh excited for that so i can imagine it's uh you know a similar sort of thing you grow up in pennsylvania especially if your childhood was in the 80s you look at this you're like oh yeah that's just huge nostalgia i imagine (laughs) it's very similar when i watched scott pilgrim uh the movie and uh they decide to go to Pizza Pizza. <laughs> I was like, oh, I've eaten at Pizza Pizza. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I I mentioned this elsewhere, but uh, I totally, I, I made our, our one of our mutual friends like go with me to Sneaky D's because I had never been there and I wanted to go. Classic Scott Pilgrim slash Toronto, right? And I mean, unfortunately now, some of the Scott Pilgrim stuff is dated because in the comic books, I forget if this is in the movie, but in the comic books, there's a huge scene when Scott and one of the evil exes, I think it's Lucas Lee, are uh, in a race. No, not not Lucas Lee. It might be the third one. I forget his name. The I one think with Todd. Todd. The vegan. Yeah, the one with the psychic powers. Uh, anyway, I think they're doing a race through Honest Ed's, which uh, was a huge like gigantic uh flea market known for like super bottom prices uh right in like uh 
you know, the heart of Toronto, more or less. And uh, Honest Ed's is not there anymore. Uh, it's, no, it's gone? Yeah, it's gone. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's going to be replaced by condos. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't 100% know what is there. But yeah, Honest Ed's is gone now. So, oh. and that was, uh, you know, a big, huge scene in like real, like iconic uh, Toronto stuff there. Uh, but yeah. the Goldbergs. Yeah, yeah the Goldbergs. Uh... So, uh, it was interesting going in and watching this show right from the middle of the show. Like, season six is where this episode is that we watched. So, yeah. right in the middle, absolutely missing any established, like, long-running jokes or characters or any of that sort of stuff. Like, completely, completely fresh. And I think it speaks either maybe to perhaps the quality of the writing or just the universality of the the situation that they're describing in that as like it took very little for me to understand what was going on and who everybody was like i there was almost no you know there was no period of confusion when i was like what's going on who's that i don't understand uh like I instantly knew absolutely everyone, everything. Now, granted, that's guaranteed not to be every person's experience who's watching a show like this. Um, and I, I'm sure it comes from a, a place of privilege as well that I can watch a show and say, oh, this looks like a, a very well-off family and everybody's together. Yes, I am completely and immediately familiar with this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And, but in any case, I, uh, I did not feel as though I was at a loss from stepping in and watching this episode right in the middle of the sixth season. And that's kind of interesting to hear. And I'm just going to throw in here that this episode is called... 8-Bit Goldbergs, and it originally aired March 20th, 2019, Season 6, Episode 19. But like, what makes that interesting is they seem to be playing around with the idea that you should know all these traits about these characters. Like That's sort of the point of the A-plot, is like we're well aware of who these characters are, and like seeing them get upset about how they're represented in the game, uh, it should be like, ha-ha, this person didn't know that they were like this already. I guess that is true. Uh, it very much plays up these characteristics that perhaps were established for a long time. But even so, like a couple of the things, like I guess um, the main character, Adam, I guess, uh, his sister Erica was described as sort of like being a, you know, being a slob or just sitting on the couch and eating snacks and things like that. And they just showed her being a slob sitting on the couch eating snacks. Uh, and then he immediately interpreted that and put that into his uh, his game that he was making. So I didn't feel like I needed six seasons worth of establishing Erica's character as being a slob and eating snacks uh, because they also did it in this episode. Maybe I would have appreciated <laughs> it more if I had all the background. I'd look at it and I'd be like, ah, oh, it's classic Erica. I guess they do show her in the game as busking. And uh, she does not busk in this episode. So... <gasps> That was super confusing. <laughs> I sure hope someone got fired for that one. <laughs> sure hope. But anyway, so I guess the, the premise of this episode is that uh, the main character, Adam, uh, for a school project, is being asked to program his own video game. And right away, I don't – not being super familiar with – what the technology was like in the 80s, uh, I'm not 100% sure like how achievable that would be given the technology at the time. Perhaps it was entirely possible. Uh, I, I don't 100% know. Or perhaps it was, you know, 
perhaps it was not possible given the technology available to like schools and the kids at the time or something like that. I don't, I don't necessarily know, but the idea of just a, a student or a class being asked to make their own game, I think is super, super realistic. And that's, um, the same stuff that you can see in schools nowadays. Um, I know that a lot of like elementary level uh, kids and high school level kids, there's a big emphasis along with math education, uh, in addition to math education, uh, programming as well, uh, in some form or another. My fiance even does programming activities for super, super young kids, like uh, grades one in kindergarten and that sort of stuff, right? Even if it's wow. like... Yeah, right? Even if it's uh, like a basic thing like this Lego block is the letter A, this Lego block is the letter B, and then she'll put out all the different Lego blocks and they got to decipher it and figure it out, right? So even that same sort of like very rudimentary, you know, logical thinking is very much being emphasized at the same time along with math. And I think that that's, an, that's a spectacular choice because it it is already important that students have a good familiarity uh, with technology, and it will be increasingly important that students have an idea of how to do these things and how to work with, you know, in these environments, especially given that a lot of stuff is online right now. So I think that the premise of the episode is super, super realistic. In fact, even uh, just uh, yesterday, uh, talking with a colleague of mine who will be teaching grade nine math in a little bit, he said that uh, he's going to do the the math curriculum as you know as uh, he's supposed to but he's also going to do enrichment or enhancement activity when he encourages everybody to believe it or not make their own game right and uh he's going to introduce to them a bunch of different you know websites with tutorials and things like that and that's just going to be an enrichment activity that they do alongside the uh the math curriculum and I think that's really, really super cool. Actually, even one of the other teachers who was sitting near us even mentioned that he was making, he had made his own game and that uh, he would like share it with this other teacher so that he could share it with his class. And I just thought that that was really, really super cool. So the premise of this episode, I think, is uh, super accurate and super interesting. I can't speak yeah. to knowing how accurate it is for the 80s, but nevertheless, I think it's cool. I would say for the 80s, it's a little luxurious because the Commodore 64, which is, I believe, the computer they referenced, was a thing that came out in the 80s. And like, I'm pretty sure the games they were talking about right at the beginning were like, you know, Congo Bongo, Zork and stuff like that. And even <laughs> Leisure Suit Larry. Yeah. Uh, those were real games for the C64. But I, I just don't think for, you know, it's TV. So whatever. But like, I think any com school that had like six or eight Commodore 64s would be considered pretty uh, luxurious uh, yeah, to I, have I, that. I would imagine then it would be the same thing. Perhaps around then it would not be expected that uh, kids are going to have access to computers like this in the home. Adam seems yeah, that, like he, that would be. <laughs> yeah, Adam has one at his home. And again, this <laughs> seems like this family is doing very well. <laughs> uh, it doesn't even seem like a family computer. It just seems like it's Adam's computer, which... Yeah. Nobody, even his brother, his sister, no one seems to have any idea how it works. So it's just Adam's computer, which to buy it in the 80s must have been like <laughs> thousands of dollars, maybe. Who knows? 
I mean, I know that when I was in elementary school in mm-hmm. like, you know, the early 90s, we had computers like one for every like grade, but they were Apple IIe's. Like they yeah. were like from the early 80s at that point. So for him to have, for his school and him to each have, I guess, cutting edge computers seems a little bizarre. <laughs> Uh, so the introductory price of a Commodore 64, which originally released in August 1982, was 595 U.S. dollars. In today money, that would be $1,576. Jesus. Okay. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So. <laughs> pretty, pretty expensive. You know what? Pretty expensive then. Kind of similar to... I guess nowadays you can get a you can get a like an introductory straightforward like you could buy like a, a Chromebook or something like that for a couple hundred dollars if you weren't really super worried about um, you know quality or longevity or whatever anything like that but to drop yeah. you know fifteen hundred or the equivalent of fifteen hundred dollars on a computer I don't know seems like this but family yeah. is doing fine <laughs> yes they they're they're not the Bronzebergs they're not the Tinbergs <laughs> they are the Goldbergs. <laughs> know how much i love element-based humor <laughs> oh periodically once in a while i like to drop it in there don't don't get me started we'll go completely <laughs> off the rails here <laughs> so yeah uh, well, adam, what's going on in this episode yeah adam makes uh, he, so he makes a game and he decides that well he gets the project he decides he wants to make a game about i think quote his crazy family end quote and admittedly i don't think his family is that crazy <laughs> uh his his family seems like it's it's big it's sure there's a lot of big personalities but everybody's living together and they certainly all seem well off mom and dad are both there he says it's my crazy family i think there could be crazier families <laughs> yeah like what's crazy about his older brother he he runs without swinging his arms yeah he likes sports yeah his sister likes music yeah Nothing seems crazy. I don't know what criteria I'm necessarily using when I say crazy, but immediately I think like unsafe, dangerous, uh, you know, these sorts of things. And absolutely nothing about this family seems unsafe or dangerous. <laughs> like consider this family compared to like the family from Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. Okay. That is a very good comparison, because I guess in terms of the size of the family, it's, I guess, approximately the same. Uh, but the Malcolm in the Middle uh, family uh, seems a lot more... I think they're they're definitely presented as having a lot less money than uh, they would like uh, in Malcolm in the Middle, whereas the Goldbergs yeah, seem Yeah, poverty like, seems to be... Yeah. Yeah. Poverty seems to be the one of the ongoing themes in Malcolm in the Middle. But not not so much in the uh, not so much in the Goldbergs, you know. No, no. So yeah, they they get the class project to make a game. Adam begins making a game about the family, mm-hmm. and the family immediately is like, "No, don't do that. You're that's lame. Don't you're being mean to us. Stop." <laughs> yeah, which I guess like fair. Someone's making a game, you know, and you're in it. You don't like the representation of you in the game. Okay, yeah, totally fair. Now this this game that he's made, there's a couple of interesting things here. First and foremost, I guess what I'd like to introduce is that uh, you can actually find someone who who made 
the game that they show in the show, but they made it through using Scratch, which I think is a, from what I've been able to see, is like a coding website that makes just coding a lot more visual and easy to use, I think. I think instead of using the traditional, like, uh, typing in all your commands, I think it's got all the same commands, but they're presented in, like, an easy drag-and-drop sort of format. So the logic is there. It's it's all the same sort of logic, but without the unapproachability, I guess, of a traditional coding language, I would imagine. Uh, but But someone has... Uh, made or recreated the game that Adam makes, his 8-bit Goldbergs, in Scratch. So you can actually find uh, this game and you can play it online, uh, which is pretty cool. So something that I think is interesting about this is that in the show, uh, it is, I think, implied that this game is really super complex. Like there's a bunch of different things that you can do in the game, and I honestly can't even really tell what sort of game it's supposed to be. Like in some scenes, it looks like there's some real basic like back and forth motion of a character, like one when Adam has to juggle the nunchucks, right? He just moves back and forth. Um, but later on, there's a screen that shows Adam with all these different stats. And looking at all these different stats, it really looks like like it's closer to like a role-playing game or something, right? And maybe these stats are relevant in certain situations. And I feel like it's referenced in a couple of different ways that you're using these stats to do things. So the game in the show, it sounds as though it's very, very complex. Like there's a lot of different stuff that's in there. And also the art in the game, like the 8-bit representations of all the family members and stuff do look pretty sophisticated in there as well. So not only does the game seem complicated gameplay-wise, but it also seems very complex art-wise. So those two aspects I thought were perhaps a little bit unrealistic for what this project was supposed to be. But then I played the game online, and playing the game online is just like a series of just different images uh, that you just click through, and maybe a kid who's talented in arts, especially someone Adam's age, could probably very well make these things themselves. And then when it comes to the actual game, and you're playing as Adam, and you're juggling the nunchucks, or I think this might be his brother, actually, but you're just moving back and forth. The actual game here, the only thing that you're controlling is the speed of the character, and the nunchucks are this like rapidly rotating, uh, I guess, line up above. And to be perfectly honest, the coding that perhaps would go into this does not seem very complex. Like, it seems very, very easy and straightforward. So, while in the show, the game is presented as being a lot more complex than what I think would be reasonable for someone in high school to do... The game itself is exactly what I would expect somebody who's doing like introductory programming to do. You got a character and they can move back and forth, and there's a, an input, and you can use the left and right arrows to move them back and forth. The game is like straightforward and simple. Like that's almost exactly like what I would expect, which I thought was really, really, really interesting. When I was thinking about what I wanted to say for this one, I was expecting at the beginning that I would jump on and say, it seems far too complicated for a high school student to actually make. You know, artistic show writing liberties aside, it seems far too complicated. But now actually playing this, it seems 
spot on. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, apologies for me talking so long about this, but I just thought that there was uh, a really interesting uh, revelation that I had there uh, going from watching the show to actually playing the game. I think you make a good point, though, that the the writers probably had that in mind, like the simpler execution of the game. But in terms of like, you need to have a hook for why the other people in the world care about the game. So they need to make it seem or sound more impressive than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Cause like, yeah, the brother cares about, you know, how he appears. Erica cares that <laughs> how she is portrayed in the game. And then you have just different students that are worried about how they're portrayed in these like scenes that we don't see. So, I mean, I mean, like, I think, they wanted to do something that would be closer to what an actual 1980s video game would be, but they're just like, ironically, they're not limited by the technical restrictions of that time. They're limited about by like what, from a writerly standpoint, has to happen in the story. Like, the the arc is that like Adam is like dealing with so many notes from all these people, and like he just wants to make a game, but everyone is like pecking at him about it, and then like the dad comes in and is like all right just make your game and people will like it if it's true to you and it's like oh okay i guess well you could have saved us a lot of time if you said that at the start dad <laughs> yep absolutely i guess it, i guess another interesting thing about it too is that in in some other shows a video game is being seen as the punchline or the fact that somebody is playing a video game is a punchline but the video game here is really being used to explore this family dynamic. You could essentially replace the video game with, let's say, like a story, right? Imagine Adam has written a story about his family and everybody doesn't like the way they're represented in the story. It Coffee would be- shop AU fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 would be, I, it would be interchangeable, which is, I think, actually pretty neat in the sense that you know the the game isn't the isn't the the punchline right the game is being used by adam to like express his worldview i suppose and people don't necessarily like that interpretation uh but absolutely nobody in the episode i think says like oh that's stupid right or don't do that or what a loser or anything that you maybe would think there's no laugh track that's like being played afterwards you know, after every video game reference, you know, it's like, it's just a, it's just a part of this person's uh, life, which I, I think is great, especially too, um, if um, people are trying to get kids more interested in, you know, coding and doing things like that and mathematical thinking, then it just goes hand in hand and don't discourage kids from getting involved in this sort of like mathematical thinking by laughing at the stuff that they're doing with it, you know? I mean, even the uh, the varsity jocks are, like, peppering him with questions. They're like, oh, we, th- we still think you're a nerd, but we like your game, and we have lots of feedback for you. It's, it gave me a lot to think about. I didn't think the episode was particularly funny, but it gave no, me a lot to not. think about. <laughs> yeah. The, the pacing felt very strange. Like, there was not really a lot... Of, I guess, like the introduction about playing Leisure Suit Larry was meant to transition into the part about making the, their own game. And then, like, immediately after he makes the game, Adam makes the game, like, everyone's just yelling at him about 
fixing it. And like that goes on for another 15 minutes. And then Jeff Garland is like, you don't do that. And then the episode ends. Like, it, it, <laughs> yeah. It felt like the, the pacing and like the rising action and, and the falling action were very, uh, very flat here. Yeah. Maybe a little bit um, uneven for what they're supposed to be <laughs> or what you would expect. And like the B plot, which we have not touched upon at all, is about <laughs> the the patriarch, the grandfather of the family, having a gambling problem, and like it, that was really strange because they're playing it as a joke, where like they're getting like deeper and deeper into like this lie about how like they're you know making fake bets for him and like using this fake bookie, and then like they keep leading it on and on until like eventually the one guy david ketchner owns uh owes the grandfather like thirty thousand dollars and then they resolve it with like this very somber sincere discussion about gambling addiction like there's there's no wacky payoff it's just like oh you have a gambling problem and he's like i do have a gambling problem and they hug and that's the resolution and that's it i honestly i i only vaguely remember the b-plot i really was not like because i don't know the characters or anything i was only vaguely i like when the when it was about adam working on his game i was like okay i gotta focus on this but when the b-plot was up i was like time to take a break <laughs> <laughs> um but i guess it that is was probably wise even if you were just watching the episode for funsies yeah yeah we should like probably I said, yeah maybe go ahead and uh, grade this episode <laughs> This this episode gave me a lot to think about. <laughs> well, you know, hey, before we started, you didn't even know what the Goldbergs was. And I now did not. you're walking away with a lot to think about. It's given me a lot to think about. But one thing I, I despite some of the uncertainties and the things I'm thinking about, one thing I'm pretty confident about is I don't think I'll watch any more of the Goldbergs. <laughs> 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 not because i could definitely see it appealing to some people i just didn't it didn't make me super excited you know the third eye is open and now you can walk away <laughs> okay all right let's uh let's grade this bad boy yeah and as always we are going to be doing so in three categories from a ranking of six to ten as you would with any video game uh we'll start off with accuracy so if uh you found this to be completely inaccurate to real life cliff give it a six if you found it to be lifelike accurate give it a 10 i guess i I spent such a long time talking about my perceptions of the accuracy because the show itself presents the game as being far more complicated and sophisticated than what i think it actually could be but playing the game itself online is exactly what i would imagine it could be um I'll God, I'll go middle of the road and say eight on this one. Um, I, there's definitely elements of accuracy here, um, but there's just so many unknown factors here. So eight. I'm going to go with an eight as well. I think that the references to contemporary hardware and software were good, but the game looks it. Some of the stuff in the game looks too good to me to be on that hardware. And, like, granted, we did explore, like, why the game, like, if you actually play it, is more down-to-earth. But the description of the game in the episode is so outlandish. I have to go middle of the road eight. Next up is condescension. If you found this to be completely non-condescending, give it a six. If you found it to be extremely condescending, 
give it a 10. Uh, I think I'm going to go with six here because I did not feel like it was condescending towards people who play video games or people who make video games in, in any way. Um, despite my uncertainty about like the accuracy of the game, the whole premise of the episode was around Adam making the game and his family's response to the game. And it showed people from all different walks of life interacting with it and enjoying it. And I did not think there was anything condescending. I didn't feel like uh, people who play video games or make video games were the butt of a joke at any point there. Uh, So I'll give it a six. You know, I'm going to have to go with a six as well. It just was never a topic of conversation that video games are lame, they're for nerds, that they... And you shouldn't play them. It was just like everyone was into this idea of playing the video game right from the beginning of the episode to the end. Right. Even like you said, the the jocks sitting around the table, they weren't like, come here, you nerd. And like, you know, I don't know, giving them a swirly in the bathroom or something. They were like, hey, we played your game and we enjoyed your game. And also, they had, like you said, they had some criticisms of it and like some feedback on something too, uh, which is just way to paint the uh, stereotypical high school jock in a much more positive light. <laughs> and lastly, entertainment. If you found this to be completely unentertaining, give it a six. If you found it to be incredibly hilariously entertaining, give it a ten. <laughs> like I said, I don't, I don't think I laughed at anything in this episode. Not to say, I God, it's so. This random episode of this show that I had never seen gave me so much more, like, th- you know, things to think about in, like, just like, you know, in a thoughtful manner. Uh, but I did not find it funny at all. <laughs> uh, so I'll I'll give it a six. I think I just did not did not find it funny i think there were some moments with jeff garland that i thought were really funny like when he's i I think it was jeff garland who was like on the phone with the pretend bookie um that was david keckner okay that i thought was some of the things he was saying oh hello yep he will want to place a bet oh yeah all the teams you just said bye like i thought that was funny (laughs) but there was absolutely nothing else that i was laughing at uh so i'll give it a six (laughs) i'm going to give it a seven but for one specific reason, one of those jocks, Cliff, was Steven Universe. What? Really? Yeah. The, the one sitting on the right with the darker brown hair, that's Zach Collison, the voice oh, of Oh, wow. The voice Steven of Steven Universe. Universe. Wow. I did not know that. Interesting. I look. I just looked up from the like the Wikipedia page or the IMDB or whatever it is that the programming teacher is Dan Mintz, who does the voice of Tina Belcher. Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I didn't. I didn't realize that either. <laughs> oh, that that beats me. I was going to mention that that like uh, someone we didn't see in this episode, but a recurring character is another Steven Universe voice. Uh, she plays uh, Stevani. Not Connie, but Stevani. Yeah, Stevani. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Interesting. Yeah. I'm rewatching Steven Universe again as well. Because <laughs> excellent. Yeah. Because excellent. Right. Anyway, it's too bad we ran out of video game episodes to talk about there. That would be uh, you know what? a lot more fun. You know what we could do is we could do Bill and Cliff uh, discuss Steven Universe, and then we just watch one episode of Steven Universe every single time. That'll get us a fair amount of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> well, all right, Cliff, uh, that brings this segment of screen watching to a close. When we come back, I'll be talking with Rob KTA, Colonel Ian, and Aiden from Team VHR. 
And we are back from break. Joining me on this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet are some of the people behind Victory Heat Rally, uh, known as Team VHR. I've got uh, Rob KTA, the composer, Colonel, uh, the programmer, and Ian and Aiden, collectively their Sky Devil Palm and their artists on the game. Can you guys just give a brief introduction and say hi? Yeah, uh, my name is Roberto. I'm known as uh, Rob KTA, and I'm one of the composers for the Victory Heat Rally project. Hey, everyone. I'm Ian. I'm one half of Sky Devil Palm. I'm the lead pixel artist and visual designer on Victory Heat Rally. Hey, everyone. This is Aiden, and um, I'm pretty much the creative director on VHR. It's pretty awesome, along with Ian, obviously, and um, well, the, the whole team's in on it, of course. But yeah, you know. So, hey, I'm Colonel. I'm the uh, game programmer, and I also design a lot of the game mechanics in the game. And yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Awesome, guys. Thank you. I guess just first of all, for anyone who wants to field this, uh, if you had to give like a one to two minute summary of what Victory Heat Rally is, uh, how would you describe it? Sure, I can I can do it. Uh, yeah, Victory Heat Rally. It's like a send up to the old classic Sega arcade games like Power Drift and like more modern titles like Daytona and Sega Rally and stuff like that. And it has like kind of a chibi influence. With it's kind of like the main inspiration for me, anyways, was um, this Nintendo game called 3D Hot Rally. So I kind of like got inspired by that. And then Ian and Aiden, they just kind of took it away. They gave it this distinct art style. And then and that Rob and G-Wiz gave it that distinct, really catchy kind of like slap bass, like 90s arcade game vibe to it. I also want to add like, yeah, you know, bro, another, you know, real life inspiration is this is cool, you know, this worldwide, just rally championships all over the world. They're freaking insane. Check them out, you know. Yeah, but we also like added our own thing to it, made it a bit more ridiculous and more. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, I think that like the main inspiration was like called the Group B rally from the eighties, and like yeah, that definitely. was already super <laughs> exaggerated in real life. So in it was, just, it, <laughs> we it was already like insane the, cartoon, man. Yeah, exactly. Like with all the cartoonies, like anime ish kind of quality, like. Super exaggerated all this already, just to make it fruitful for the rest of us. These rockets they drove is insane. It's like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Now, when I was getting ready for this interview, one of the terms that I saw actually on the Kickstarter page that I wasn't familiar with is super scalar. And uh, I mean, that seems appropriate because if this game is kind of uh, honoring those 80s to 90s, like, outrun type racers like the i mean i can see that sort of stylistically but could any could anyone please explain what a super scalar is is that (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a it's an aesthetic but it's also a a technology for uh scaling sprites yeah a uh, suedo 3d effect so like back in the uh like early 80s and stuff computers weren't like exactly that powerful enough to have full polygonal 3D games like we have now. So it was a lot faster to just like scale sprites in a way that made everything look 3D, but kind of fake it. So that's kind of how um, sprite scaling works. Your super scalers more. Is that why the uh, racetrack as you're going appears as a waveform or is that like a different Uh, Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> part of it. It's a, <laughs> it's inspired by like uh 
it's inspired by power drift, which uses the same technique for its roads. All the roads are made out of uh, scaled sprites to make up like a 3D space. Also, if if you've never seen that, you know, original Jurassic Park arcade game by Sega, yeah. that's, that's where it's at for me, honestly. <laughs> I just give you uh, that. I don't even think about I don't even care about stuff before. Just like just give me that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm just like, just give me all give me every last drop of juice you can get, you know, yeah, it's rally. <laughs> Do you each have like a go to retro racing game? Uh like could you name one off the top of your head? Uh, oh man, <laughs> that's hard. Uh, I'd go. I like Which Ridge one? Racer on PS One. That's a go to for me. Outrun Two, mm-hmm. another go to. Um, I also like the original Outrun a lot. <laughs> what other ones? Oh yeah, F Zero GX. If you count that as retro, or maybe F Zero X. That's another one. I think we have to count F Zero as a uh, retro game, or F Zero GX as a retro game. Now, I'm sorry. Yeah, definitely Sega Rally. I don't, I don't know how obvious that one can be. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of like, yeah, especially more in the 32 bit era, 3D racing, at least for me and Ian, just, you know, just full speed, full crazy handling. You know, I remember just being a little kid playing. I played Sega, the original Sega Rally as a little kid, and I was, of course, terrible at it, but it was so cool, it didn't even matter. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even if it's all the way forward, it's still like, <laughs> you know, I'm like three, four years old, you know, <laughs> and just, wow, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think we played that at the arcade when we were little, and I think one of us would, would, uh, do the pedals. I wonder if oh, no, that's right. The yeah. I think, uh, I think, <laughs> who did the wheel? I think maybe you did a wheel. You're probably, you know, faster, you know, so I was just like, yeah. Oh, you that one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How do we uh, communicate that? Do we, do we scream it? Do we just like you just kick my right shoulder, left shoulder? Oh, <laughs> Gas left. Gas break. break yeah. gas. Russian tank uh, commands here. Just kick him. <laughs> Related to what I do specifically, like what I for, uh, I think that the racing game that that is that I can kind of the top of my head is Ridge Racer Tide 4 specifically this it, one mainly because of the soundtrack and the overall aesthetic like if, if it wasn't for this game I think I would have never got this hardcore into making video game music because there is something about that like the whole aesthetic and the whole the musical style that like resonates with me and like is something that I love to do this kind of jazzy chord 90s uh, kind of soundtrack that really that really inspires you to go to just go out on a drive maybe at a in the sunset it's just simply amazing you know I, I don't know if I have a particular favorite of my own but one thing you know that comes through of course is drifting uh, oh yeah and playing the demo of Victor Heat Rally drifting is important it's it's very very important uh, was was that like always the main goal with the driving mechanics to like make the drifting like the central focus of the racing? Pretty uh, much, yeah. yeah. I say so. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made it a bit more of a focus once we introduced the uh, whole boost uh, mechanic because initially that wasn't even a thing. We always talked about it, but it never we never actually implemented it properly until now. Was there ever a consideration like a? I, 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 see, I see like the streaking effect for when like you successfully pulled off. Uh, was there ever a thought of uh, like uh, blue sparks or, or was green always the color? Uh, green's always been the color, but uh, I think it would be cool if we could like change it. With microtransactions. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Mm. 
pay a dollar, you get money coming out of your exhaust. Gonna drive a, a tiny yellow Fiat yeah, 500. Yeah. yeah. Now, guys, uh, you know, playing the d- demo too, I, I was, you know, pretty challenged by it. Like, uh, good. Maybe that just means I need to get gooder. Uh, but, <laughs> good. Uh, yeah, I tried a lot of times, and I like I thought I was doing the drifts pretty well, and I was getting stuff uh, firing them off. But uh, <laughs> do you have any tips for uh, placing like second or first? The best I could do was third. Uh, yeah, you really want to fill the boost meter as up as much as possible. You know, you could drift on the straightaways. You can't drift on every straightaway, but like on you know, you any, can stack on them on the straightaways, man. And I do. <laughs> yeah, I try it, man. So like on any like really big corners. <laughs> You want to. You will always want to get the boost up as high as you can before you let go. So just try to go for that. And if you can't get the boost really high up, then it's probably not worth doing. Yeah the the angle of your drift. If you if you if you're not drifting sharp enough, your your boost meter won't fill. It won't fill as fast. Yeah. So if you the better you drift, the faster it fills up, and the faster you have to get a little ballsy at times. So just try it. You know, try different things. Just keep trying till you get it, and you get you, you'll get your killer moves if you keep trying. Man, I'm telling you. That's why, like the time attack mode is uh, is the best like way to practice those. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I do notice when people play the game is sometimes they like let go of the uh, drift too early to mm, get yeah. the boost. But yeah, uh, really, when you get like the drift that's really, like really small, well, when you fill up the boost meter, like not a whole lot, it, you won't really give you that much of a boost. So you really want to fill it up. Yeah, you don't have to give it all away just yet. <laughs> uh, but uh. yeah, figure out some of it on your own. It's the fun part. You see, like an unfinished version of like maybe four percent, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> 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 No joke, man. We got a lot of like the basics in. We still got to like do a yeah, whole lot of other stuff. Exactly. There's a lot more coming. Yeah. Plus, I did just kind of make the AI really difficult. So. <laughs> Good. The what's one thing you're most excited about adding to the game, uh, assuming that uh, it's able to move forward? And like currently, you know, it's somewhat optimistic about the uh, the Kickstarter campaign here. The uh, we haven't done rally mode yet. I mean, it's it's in the name for a reason, you know. It's pretty much yeah, A to B. Just you know, it's just you against time and insane terrain, topography, all this stuff. So yeah, I really just want to do all of that. I guess it's gonna be all these crazy jumps, all these crazy turns. You know, it's gonna be a blast. Yeah, it's all that kind of like uh, sprint mode rather than the uh, circuit mode. Well, I'm kind of just looking forward to implementing more tracks. Honestly, same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Adding more content. Oh yeah, and like once you get like working in the, the newest version of Game Maker, I want to add multiplayer to it. Oh yeah, be fun. Yeah, oh, there you go. Yeah, but like, regardless of whether or not the Kickstarter you know succeeds, the game will still go forward. It just might not get like ported as like quickly as we want it to. Now, Rob, I have a question for you. Uh, yes. One thing that I think uh, influences how we remember, you know retro games and that includes retro racing games is the limitations of the technology like with the uh, with the mega drive it's impossible for me to not think of like that that kind of pixelation on the sound even though i mean it, it's good sound but it's, it's like it's got that distinctiveness to it uh like you don't have that limitation in modern composition 
is there still a temptation to kind of like bake that in or is it just like no we're we're trying to build like a modern soundscape Actually, that's a really good question, because when I started to work on this, the intention was to mimic, uh, you know, the arcade sound from the Namco soundboards, you know, like Dirt Dash or Rage Racer, and they tend to be, tend to have a lot of limitations, even in, in how the sound, um, in how the sound uh, comes out of the hardware and everything, and it's there, it's present, but the thing is that, like, in, for some tracks that I listened to, I was like, hmm. Because, like, at the end of the day, you what you're trying to do is a carbon copy of something that was in there and was good for all the time. But what you can do is try to take inspiration from that. You transpose it into modern times and you just, like, try to make something that sounds fresh and new while retaining the, the like, core characteristics from the soundtracks from that. And that is the reason why I decided to go into this direction with far less limitations, like, with the uh, soundtrack of the game. And I'm pretty pleased with the result, because, like, with that, once I was able to experiment with various things. Like, for instance, we were able to uh, compose some songs using Core Gadget on a Nintendo Switch, at least a part of it. And then combine it like into the 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 other software, like for instance. And then I uh, was even usually I don't make, for instance, like fusion rock, like you know T Square, Cassiopeia inspired stuff. Like, but I tried for the first time for this game, and like a uh, it, it, it's sort of like a. I don't know. It's sort of like uh, when you pack exploring for a new place that you had, that you've never seen. You're kind of excited by the possibility. So I think it's that exploring i think uh it's, it's very apt here because see like as far as i can tell this is the first time the four of you plus the other team members have uh come together to work on a game and i i guess i was just wondering what was the the genesis for all this like wh- how did it start well <laughs> it really started out as a test i i was uh, making <laughs> last year uh I wanted to see if I could use Game Maker's Path system to kind of recreate um, the look of that old Sega game, Power Drift. And uh, from there, I, I started adding some gameplay to it. because, like, you know, it looked kind of nice. So I added some gameplay to it, put a video of it on Twitter, and uh, it kind of blew up. I wasn't expecting it to, but yeah, 2K likes. And then uh, Sky Devil Poems just like, yo, wanna can we do art for this? You want to team up? And I was like, sure. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, we have been pl- we had a, we had a plan for this like honestly for the past few years, but this pretty much happened like way sooner than we thought. Where yeah, we look for someone who can do what you know what Mike can do here, and oh yeah, he's just, we saw him like oh perfect, let's just move let's move along with this plan, make a cool you know super scalar racing game, you know and yeah, and we, he's, we saw the post and like oh let's move in. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, we 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 uh, put a bag over his head. We put him in a van. I <laughs> said, "Hey man, yeah. we, 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 hey man, let's make a deal. You know, hey, you help us out. We'll help you. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You all come out clean. Boom. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I started this thing. I was like, you know, I'll like take a week off of something else I was working on. I'll take a week. I'll make a short little game. <laughs> Yeah, he must have misunderstood somebody that, you know, oh, this isn't the game jam. It's like straight up real deal, putting it out there. <laughs> it's a real game. <laughs> yeah. You're in, the, you're in the big leagues now, boy. <laughs> thousand fans waiting for you out there. Don't disappoint them. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> and what about some of the other people on the team? Like we've got Elazor and... Oh, 
Yeah. Uh, Elizor does the promo art, and then Cactus Bear does the sound effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're on it for sure, man. Just, yeah. Yeah, it's insane. Oh, thank you very much. Cool. AJ, who I, I really yeah. liked AJ's bark about the start of the race. <laughs> yeah. Marvel versus Capcom 2 for me. He has yeah. a crazy work schedule. That's why he's. And then uh, Amy, who is uh, on the other side of the oh, world, yeah. apparently. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You yeah, land down under. <laughs> she's doing a great job so far, yeah. Yeah. And uh, also, like, the other composer that worked with me, G-Wiz, which I asked her to, to hop in because, like, what, what, what an arcade game needs, like, to be in this kind of aesthetic is happy hardcore and those kind of, like, very fast kind of sounds, like, in the very early Rage Racer. So she provided, like, her portion of the soundtrack, like, with, with great, like, uh, contributions, like, and all, and you get this very high-energy, high-punchy sounds, like, we even cooperated together for a few tracks, and they extra, they suit, like, the results. When you put, when you put it together with the game, it's absolutely blasting. It's absolutely fantastic. She put an, an amazing work together with me. It's great. Yeah, she brings That's, she brings like NASCAR energy. Yeah, it does. yeah. yeah. Stock car <laughs> she is in stock car races. You know, she has her experience in that. So, yeah, absolutely, and and that's true. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool, perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. wait, you said she has stock car experience. Like, what yeah. does that mean? Yeah, she's a stock car driver, or she's she's been oh. for a bit, and she's willing to come back. Like, I think in the weekends. Not to, <laughs> she likes to go fast. We like to go fast, guys. I have two questions i want to ask before we wrap here uh so the first one is uh is there a is there a lore to the victory heat rally universe are we are we gonna see how these drivers feel <laughs> maybe personality stuff yeah maybe Lord. like maybe we'll like do like kind of marvel versus capcom you beat a character with uh, you beat the game with a character you'll see their ending or something like that <laughs> I wouldn't say there's a plot. Uh, I don't know. Wait, try to win. Yeah, that's the plot. Get first uh, place. Brought to you by all these sponsors. Uh, <coughs> have a blast at the end. They got to party after it all. I was invited. The, the, the spoilers on their cars aren't like wired to blow and then like it's <laughs> the no. blows up. It was no. fun pyrotechnics. I don't know about like just malicious bombs. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Ridge Racer Type 4 or F-Zero GX. There's no real story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, don't worry about like, that. You know. And lastly, uh, this is a question that I ask everyone who comes in the podcast, and it has to do with Pokemon, because I feel like whether you, you played the Game Boy games or you, you watch the old cartoon or you played Pokemon Go, everyone has some connection with Pokemon uh, some way. Uh, so I'd like to know uh, from each of you, if there was one Pokemon that you could have as a pet, one Pokemon you could be, and one Pokemon you could eat, oh gosh. which Pokemon would they be? Uh, you, mm. you go first, guys. I am- <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All righty. All righty. I'd love to have a Totodile, because hell yeah. Uh, right. B, hmm. Ninjask. That's to go Ooh. fast. Not bad. Eat. Well, you just have a slow poke around to keep eating the tails. Nice. So, <laughs> that works, yeah. Train okay. it for life, boy. <laughs> All right. If I could have, my pet would be Rayquaza because he's a badass oh, dragon. Ah, oh, goddammit. Go on. And then 
Pokemon I could be, probably a psychic Pokemon, I'm going to go with Zatu. He's a psychic. Mm. Oh, yeah. Damn, little, yeah. That little bird dude. All right, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then as far as a Pokemon I could eat, damn, who's, who's got meat on him? I'll eat a Gyarados, unlimited sushi, or at least it'll last a long time. <laughs> You're gonna need a lot of freaking a lot of freaking alka seltzer after that. <laughs> I, I I guess I'll go since you said you wanted to go last. I have very limited knowledge of Pokemon, so my my all my picks are gonna be super basic. <laughs> so you're gonna have to bear with me. <laughs> uh, I guess for a pet, I'd go with a Sylveon uh, because you know they look cute. <laughs> Make a cute pet. I for. Pokemon, I would be. I guess I'd be a Lucario because I really like playing Lucario in Smash, <laughs> and plus he looks cool. So, and I don't have one I could eat. I don't know which one I would want to eat. <laughs> the thought has never crossed my mind. I'm unprepared. <laughs> if you would prefer not to eat a Pokemon, uh, would you be interested in eating like a a byproduct of a Pokemon? Like a byproduct uh, of a Pokemon. Well, like <laughs> the milk from a milk or. Uh, the uh, leaves of like a uh, one of the executors with their like trees. <laughs> Move yeah, I'd have to think about that one too. But it, it sounds tempting. I'll give you that. We can punt on that one. Rob, Rob is oh, okay. seems convinced he's got something a pretty spicy take. So I, I want to hear what <laughs> yeah, he has to say. Okay, so the Pokemon that I would like to have as a pet is a Squirtle because it's my historic life first pick right. since the Game Boy games, and because I. I just like Blastoise like, as the final evolution, of course. A Pokemon that I want, that I would love to be, it will be Charmeleon, to be honest. Maybe it's because the personality is more, like, uh, closer to mine. And the Pokemon that I would love to eat is Porygon. And there is a very precise reason for that. There is a friend of mine. Her name is Jadabella. Once we had a, a fight in uh, online, and her Porygon absolutely smashed me. So... Specifically, I want to hit her Pokemon. You heard me, Jade. I really hope that you hear this interview because I'm coming for it and I'm still salty about that. So you better hide it and lock it up. Thank you very much. Hey, at least you did, at least you didn't turn off the Game Boy. At least you did it with the honor, you know. No, I didn't, but I but I but I kept her awake like until four AM said, You oh, yeah. beat me the Pokemon. What <laughs> anyway. Yeah. That's the most specific pokemon that someone has wanted to eat by far someone else's porygon is a rare choice as it is but a specific porygon owned by someone else that's that's unique you know mill gear solid three the the old sniper dude you can use bird yeah same thing yeah you know he's a damn bird (laughs) well that guys thank you so much for your time uh a lot about petty vengeance if people want to get updates on the game, how it's where they can uh, support you and just where they can support you individually too. If you like, uh, where can they do that? My PayPal account. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, definitely support us on Kickstarter. The Kickstarter yeah. for sure. Kickstarter, please. 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 Tell your neighbors, tell every dog you see. I don't care. Just tell them. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay. to stay up, up to date, uh, definitely follow our victory Heat rally Twitter account at VHR game. I think that's the most, that's the best place to uh, stay up to date. You can find every team member's on the VHR Twitter account. Yeah, list them all in like the header, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay, guys, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. No problem.
And we're back from break. One more time, big thank you to Team VHR. Uh, Victory Heat Rally, again, is currently going through Kickstarter, uh, so I'm sure they would appreciate any support that can be provided. Cliff, thank you so much for coming on this week to talk about the Goldbergs with me. I, I didn't get to it during the uh, screen-watching segment, so I'll just make the Goldberg, Goldberg <laughs> joke here. Uh, if you want people to find you anywhere on the internet, where can they find you? Uh, easiest thing is to uh, look for uh, my improv group, Moist Theater. Um, we haven't done anything since April last year, um, but we will once we are able to again. Um, we do regular performances in Toronto, in and around Toronto. Um, so you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Moist Theater, and uh, that's probably the easiest way. Awesome. As for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Simplecast or stream via Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time, with occasional Saturdays mixed in there. Coming up soon. Uh, and it, later on after this recording, I'll be doing an Extra Life stream that'll be, I believe, the fourth year of the Extra Life stream. That is scheduled for. Uh, Saturday, November 7th, and I'll be putting some details online about what that entails later on. Until then, though, I want to thank you all for listening very much. Have a great summer. <laughs>